Welcome to Inside Groove, the only motorsport show where super modifieds are king, methanol is aromatic, and the drivers carry their balls in a bag. Inside Groove is powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Here's your host and fellow superholic, Tom Baker. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Inside Groove Super Modified Podcast. My name is Tom Baker, and it is uh, great to be back. Uh, we have got a nice show for you uh, on this episode, a little bit of a different show. Uh, not a ton of news, per se. That will come on the next show, uh, which we've already got lined up with uh, Camden, who is coming back to town uh, a little bit later this week and uh, we'll be recording on Sunday. We'll have that show out um, hopefully on Sunday night if we can record early enough. If not, then we'll put it out Monday. But uh, that will be out next week and it will be a season preview show and we'll um, we'll talk a little bit about uh, Mike Murphy and also about Ron Sharkey as well. Um, we Our hearts go out again to the um, to the family and loved ones of both of those gentlemen who were um, just such big parts of uh, the Oswego Speedway in terms of the pit area side of things. Um, and um, we, we will always remember both very fondly. Um, on this show, we have got uh, Larry Trinka, who is uh, going to join us to talk about his newest restore project. And we kind of uh get into a little bit of a deep dive on you know the whole kind of as i like to say cottage industry that's developed around restoration of cars and um it's it was a really interesting conversation with larry so i uh, look forward to presenting that to you here in a minute and um then also we are going to have what's in the number of course and um we're going to talk about the number seven and the number 16 um, are the two numbers that we have on this particular show. And uh, each number in its own right has some some cool Oswego Speedway history. So we'll, we'll get into that and um, talk about that as well. So um, want to, uh, again, say thank you to our sponsors and some big news that just came across about uh, the LaGroff's pub. And uh, man, I didn't see this one coming, but Sean Cathcart is really a genius. Um, what do you do when you have Skip's fish fry as the concession stand on both the grandstand and infield side? And you've got this other place called LaGroff's pub. Well, you just park a, LaGroff's pub concession next to Skip's. Um, wow. So both businesses, LaGroff's and Skip's, will have concession stands at the Speedway this year. And, of course, Skip's is in the infield um, concession as well. So uh, that's huge news. And really excited for Sean. And I hope that you all will support um, both of those. I um I'm I'm looking forward to hearing from Sean about to how all that came together and, and maybe we'll uh, see if he wants to come on the show and talk a little bit about that. 
that um, that's that's huge, and I'm real excited for him. So um, Sean has been a faithful supporter of this show um, since its inception, and so we're excited for uh, for Sean. And um, uh, Jeff West has told me that uh, his business, IPC Indie, is just crazy busy right now, which is amazing and really excited for him. And um, I don't have to wonder about Rich Worth and JNS Paving. Rich is the Beethoven of Blacktop, and I don't I don't know that Rich ever has a day off this time of the year. So, um, but again, a, a gentle reminder, make sure you're supporting all these businesses because um, that they support super modified racing and we need to support everyone who supports the racing. So with that, we're going to step aside. And when we come back, Larry Trick is going to join us and we're going to have a fun conversation about his latest restoration project that he has uh, got now to uh to start at some point um this year hopefully and uh he'll tell us all about it on the other side of the break we'll be back with more of the groove after this okay folks i want to tell you about one of our sponsors here on inside groove indie performance composites they're a premier composite design and manufacturing company creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive aerospace and communications industries jeff west and his team are amazing They do all kinds of work in the motorsports industry from dirt tracks to NASCAR to IndyCar, super modifieds. It doesn't matter if you've got something that you need designed or fabricated. Let them help you transform your idea, your vision and your budget into a workable, high performance solution. They have all kinds of services from 3D printing to finishing services, end-to-end composite solutions is what they are. Check them out, ipcindy.com or indieperformancecompositesinc.com and tell them that the folks from Inside Groove set you. Welcome back to Inside Groove, episode 116. And that means uh, later on, we are going to be talking about the numbers 7 and 16. And I suspect, like last week's show, which uh, ran about an hour past my bedtime, um, both literally and figuratively, because I finished recording it about quarter of one in the morning. Um, But uh, two-hour show, this will probably be another one, because our feature guest is with us now. And we're always happy to have Larry Trinka back. Larry's a great friend of mine, has been a super fan of this show and of Oswego Speedway Super Modified Racing. And most all of you know his history and his family's history. Um, We uh, still remember his dad, Pete Trinka, the program man, fondly um, for his whistle and what do you say, shy, and all of those cool things. And um, Larry, of course, uh, has been on a number of different teams and um, worked with a number of different drivers. And more recently in his retired life, has restored two of Steve Joya's former cars. And now, as we mentioned last week in our breaking news segment, Larry's pregnant again. He's going to have another race car. Uh, and uh, I, I want to know, Larry, uh, what kind of um, alcohol-induced uh, haze were you in when you decided you were going to make this move and get yourself another race car to restore? Uh, that's, a, that's a good way to put it, Doug. But I don't know about the alcohol-induced. It was just my uh, 
something in me that just really enjoys the hunt of chasing down these old cars and just to pique my own curiosity as to, gee, I wonder what happened to this car or that car. And uh, this this last one, I kind of stumbled on it about three years ago. It was uh, the remains of a car I'd worked on with Mike Brubaker in 1982 and 83. It was a Kempton Dates built car that Kemp built for Warren Conium. And I think most of everybody knows it went for about a half a year and then Warren sold it to Del Meeks. Yes. Who ran it for a while and turned it into a uh, gorgeous, gorgeous super with the green and the white yep. and the chrome and uh, the deuce. He in turn, I'm sorry, go ahead. The deuce. Yes, the deuce. He in turn sold it to Joe Paino who kept it every bit as immaculate as Del Meeks had it. Yes. And then it went on to Mike Brubaker, who did the same. And uh, when, you know, it was by the time Mike had it, it was, they were five years into the uh, radical offsets, and these, this one was nowhere near that offset. I, I'm not sure how offset those dates cars were, if they were only eight or maybe 10 or 12. I'm not really sure. But, uh, Mike ran the car for a few years and then upgraded to a show car chassis, but uh, he sold the car to a uh, father and son team out of the Buffalo area, Bill McDonald Jr. and Sr. And uh, it was the funny thing was, is that was the first super I ever got to start, which oh wow meant the world yeah that meant the world to me. I mean that was something I'd always wanted to do at least do, and uh, Mike gave me the opportunity a couple times, and I, I remember a couple of the other crew guys on the car with me, Don Wallace and uh, Mike Brubaker's brother-in-law, Bill Hoyt, when I came back into the pit the pit stall that, that one afternoon, somebody said, okay, you can get out, and I said, no. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just want I want to sit here and relish the feeling and uh, and uh, y'all go so, take a ten minute break and have yeah. some coffee and I'll be right yeah. here. <laughs> they finally pried my wrinkled old raisin butt out of the car and uh, and uh, so with that went on and what you know and the, the car progressed through Bill and his dad and they raced it on and off for a few years and then it uh, you know being it was probably ten years into the offset style. And they, I guess, just didn't have the money to continue. And then the car just disappeared, which, like a lot of the old 8- to 10-inch offset cars did. And just the one, I don't know, it had to be early to mid-90s. I just got curious as to wondering where the car went to and wondered what happened to it. And, and you, you just wonder and wonder, and you never hear things. And so a few years after that, I just got curious. I'd met... Uh, Bob Reese out of the Buffalo area that bought uh, had Jeff West's independent front suspension car and Bob and I got talking one day and uh, I asked him if he'd known the McDonald's and he said no but I can look around. I said I'm just curious as to whatever happened to that old Dates car that they had. And so then my curiosity really got the better of me and I got a hold of, uh, hold of uh, Ralph Wissing's son Skip. He looked around for me. Nobody could find these people. They wow. just they had just nobody knew where they were. Their postage shop supposedly had shut down and nobody knew and 
So, you know, every once in a while I'd ask and nobody could, nobody had any info on it. So I was just, you know, and in the meantime, I retired, moved south, gotten my grummy little hands on two of Steve Joya's cars and redid those two. And uh, about three, just a touch over three years ago, I uh, was browsing through Facebook on one of the race pages I'm on. And I, I saw a, a post from a, a gentleman named David Clark who had shared a post onto a super page of a post that he had put on a three-quarter midget page. Okay. And uh, it was a picture of a neat little TQ midget. And, and I just it just got my interest, so I'm reading the article, and, and it said, uh, hey, look what I just came across and I purchased. I'm going to restore this old and I can't remember who built the car, but it was an old TQ midget raced by Bill McDonald Jr. And bingo, the light went off in my head, and I, I couldn't get to the, the keyboard fast enough to <laughs> ask the, the guy, if is this the same Bill McDonald Jr. that ran a Super at Oswego in the late 80s? And he said, I'm not sure, but I can put you in touch with the family. I said, okay. He sends me info on the upholstery shop that Bill's father had run, I guess, now run by Bill's brother and his boys. Okay. Which had moved to Lancaster. So I got in touch with them, and I, I told them, you know, I'd just like to talk to Bill Jr. or Sr. about the car. And they said, well, we don't want to give out that info, but we can get a hold of him and see if it's okay. I said, that's fine. You know, I'm not one to bother anybody. If they don't want to talk, fine. Sure. But the... Uh, they got back to me relatively quickly that day and said, Bill Jr. would love to talk to you about the car. Here's his phone number. Give him a call. Oh, wow. Bill, yeah. Bill and I talked for, I bet you, an hour to an hour and a half on the phone. And uh, I just told him I was curious about the car and this and that. And, and he said, you know, I've still got a lot of the parts. He said, my dad had moved and he was in a smaller home and they had no room for the car. So they sold the engine and scrapped the frame, which oh. upset me a little oh. bit. But he says, I've still got pretty much everything else to the car. I said, really? He said, yeah. I said, could you send me some pictures? Because I'm redoing the car, and I, I'd you know, be, be willing to buy some parts off you if you'd be willing to sell them. And he said, sure. He said, I got some parts are at my dad's, and some parts are at my brother's shop in, in Lancaster. And he said, I can go over there in the next few days and take pictures of everything and send you pictures. Now, I said, that'd, that'd let's, be great. Let's, let's, let me just get in here because I want to make sure people understand at this point in time, you were talking to him about parts that you might be able to buy from him that you could use for the Joya car or cars, right? This wasn't yeah, for, the, you, for the older car. Right. Yeah. So you started yeah. this hunt back in the 90s. Well, the, yeah. Sort of, right? Yeah. And, you know, I, I figure it took me 30 years to find, no close to 30 <laughs> I mean, to find this guy. This is what I, I want to get the, those details in because I want people to understand. This is not just a hobby for you. This is a bit of an obsession. Um, and, <laughs> <laughs> and there's a, there's there's some sort of a, um, I, I think there's some sort of a, uh, uh, race car restorers anonymous program that you probably need to get in if you're if you're taking 30 years on on one car but but we love that because this is and this is where 
Like, I feel like there's this whole little cottage industry that's developed around these restorations, which I just love. And I feel like you're right at the forefront of it. So you, you, you got, you were able now, you've been given permission. You got in touch with him. He was going to take pictures. So take us from there. When you got the pictures, what did you see? A lot of stuff. Uh, Pretty much an entire running gear. uh, Wow. Rear end. Two rear axles, a center section, oh, wow. front axle, the chrome headers that uh, Del Meeks and Paino and Boo Baker had run on the car, all the radius rods with 1980s and late 80s high mens on them. Wow. Uh, uh, brake calipers that are very, very, very hard to find, and front hubs, rear hubs, and just, you know, a good, good share of. The running gear off of the uh, original Warren Conium white number 46. So, um, I mean, stuff I imagine had been updated through the years, but I mean, it, it, uh, still a lot of that car is still there. Now, isn't aren't isn't a lot of that um, the hardest stuff to get when you're restoring a car? I mean, the, oh, yeah. because so much of it's particular to the period, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Especially the rear ends, the older Hillebrands, Hillebrand center sections, the uh, the the front hubs, the old international front hubs are expensive. You know, they're they're not hard to come by, but they're. I mean, you don't run down to the corner parts store and get them. Right. And uh, just you know, little things like that that you can't really find. You know, I've I've been able to find some before. In fact, I, I got some off of uh, Jason, some from of those international hubs off of Jason Crusetti. I bought for my baby Ruth car, which I found out weren't the right ones, with, who I in turn swapped to with Steve Miller, and we exchanged some money and parts and stuff. And I believe those front hubs went on the 10 pins. Oh, wow. So, okay. Yeah. So- yeah. So then how long ago was this that you actually got the pictures from him and now you knew what was there? How long ago was that? About three years. Wow. So you, for three years, you knew where all that was. Did you just sort of, you know, keep it an ancient Chinese secret or what? Like what? That's, you were just sort of waiting for the right time to figure out something to do with it? Well, you know, I, I missed out on parts by telling people about them and, and procrastinating. <laughs> oh, maybe I could buy this part and maybe I should, but then I'd wait and then it'd be gone. So I just kind of kept this one, you know, under my hat a little bit. Yeah. I mean, in the back of my mind, I thought, gee, you know, that'd be a cool project to, you know, if I could get a frame and blah, blah, blah. And then after I got done with the, the older Joya car, I got thinking, you know, I don't know if I've got another whole project in me. So I kind of put it off and put it off, but I kept in contact with Bill McDonald Jr. Okay. Just, you know, the occasional text message or call saying, hey, how's it going? How's your dad doing? Blah, 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 and this and that. And, uh, well, I mean, we stay in touch two, three, four times a year. And uh, so I, I texted him, oh, mid, early, mid, last December, and uh, he said that his dad had uh, – gotten hurt and broke a, an ankle or a leg oh. or something and that he was in rehab and that his brother had they had to get out of the uh, upholstery shop that the, the 
building they were in in Lancaster, and he said, uh, I know you've already shown interest in these parks. He said, I don't know what I can do with them. I really don't have a place to store them, and I've got to clean Dad's place out. So if you want to make me a fair offer. So I said, wow. Then I got thinking, okay, I know where there's a dates frame from the same batch that Tonium's was made from. Uh-oh. And Yeah. You know, so the, <laughs> the, the remaining brain cell kicked in, and it was on overload. And so I made a deal with Jim Larkin to buy that frame after I'd already, well, I'll put it, I've got to back up a step. Yes. Bill had sent me, sent me some additional pictures when he picked all the parts up from his brother's store. And uh, so I said, okay, let me, let me sit on this a while and see what I think stuff might be worth and, you know, what I could do with it. So I, I came up and my wife and I talked about it and she said the same thing she did with the other the older Joya car. She said, Hey, if it keeps you busy and makes you happy and it doesn't break the bank, you know, go for it. Wow. If, if you think it's something you could do. So here I made made Bill an offer on these parts, which he accepted. So then I went and uh, approached Jim Lark and called him one day and bought buying that dates frame from him and he goes, Gee, I really don't want to sell. I said, What? <laughs> I said, oh boy! I said, "Hey Jim," I said, "I've I've got a whole running, pretty much a whole running gear lined up, and uh, I said I could really use that frame because there aren't any other ones. Every one of the rest of that batch of old cars that that Kempton had built, I'm pretty sure every one of them, except for the one that Kemp has, have been scrapped. Yeah, because I naturally, being me, I tracked all those other ones down. So, uh. So he said, well, you know, I, I kind of like it, you know, looking at it, it's a neat frame. It's different than anything I got. I said, Jim, I'm going to make a whole car out of it, I hope. And he said, well, let me think on it. Give me a call in a day or so. So I called him back, and and he said, okay, you know, we, we made a deal on that. And he said, but I, I need to make some room because I just picked up two more frames. So oh, he's, wow. He's, yeah, he's got a slew of them in his backyard. So we made a deal and uh, so- set up a time. Which car, which of the Dates cars that were built between 76 and 77 over that winter, which of these chassis did he have that you now have? Which of the which of those cars? We know it wasn't the 46. Nope, it was the Dan Denny car. Okay. And according to Jody's book, the Tonium car and the car that Kemp built for Dan Denny were the first two. Off, off okay. the, of that batch that he made, so they're they should be pretty similar. Yeah, you know, but and I'd already talked with Dan. Well, I talked with Rich Worth one day when Dan was out there, and I asked him to ask Dan if he'd done anything to the frame, and he hadn't done any modifications to the frame. So I was good there. You know, I'm hoping when I get to it, I've been really busy the last few weeks since I got back home with everything. I have not even had a chance to go through the parts and, you know, see what I've got, what I need, what's missing, what's there. But, you know, we'll get to it probably later this summer or, or you know, just to start putting stuff to, you know, at least going through the stuff to yeah. uh, see what I've got and what I don't. Now, um, okay, so you, you now, you went to Oswego 
and picked up the frame. Now, you had to go to what, Lancaster? Buffalo. Buffalo. West, West Seneca. Okay, close enough. I went, to, I went to Bill Jr.'s house and picked up all the parts. Wow. Okay. So you, have a, yeah. you had a trailer full of parts and, and, and the frame, and now you're back in, in Tennessee yep. with uh, yep. everything's yep. unloaded. Oh, yeah, I had everything unloaded that day. Well, the frame unloaded. Some of the parts I left in my truck overnight, but uh, it was, oh, I forgot what time it was, 8, 9 o'clock by the time we got home that night. And I I had to bring the trailer back because I'd rented a smaller trailer to go up oh. rather than drag my big one all the way up there. Gotcha. And it was, it was cheaper to rent a smaller enclosed U-Haul than it was for me to pay gas to haul my big trailer up to New York and that back. That makes sense. Because we pretty much, we combined the weekend was my mom's birthday was that Monday, the 24th, and Wendy's mom's birthday was the following Monday on oh, wow. May 1st. So we did a combined birthday for her mom, my mom, and Larry's Christmas, birthday, anniversary, and every <laughs> other present for the next 10 years part. So that was a combined trip. Nice. Very nice. Well, uh, that sounds like it was a great trip and, and a piece of history. Actually, basically, one in, you know, almost two pieces of history um, yeah. have been saved. Um, and now, for those who who aren't in the business of chasing these chassis down or parts down or whatever, talk a little bit about what that process is like because i if i feel like if if people read kemp's book they would understand part of it because a lot of the process they went through is the book and and, but you know this is not just you know hey here's an old car okay let's put some parts on it and put a body on it that looks like a body that used to be on it and bring it out i mean as you say a lot of these parts are not made new anymore so um you know, it's been amazing the growth in the this little I call it a cottage industry where everybody's restoring old supers and old race cars in general now. Um, but the difficult part can be the just if you're trying to be accurate to the period at all with your parts and and what you put back on the car is just finding these laying around in somebody's garage somewhere that they haven't used in twenty thirty years or forty years in some cases. You know, you'd be surprised at the amount of older parts that are out there if you just dig a little bit. Okay. I mean, you know, it, it's, I've come across in, in the, let's see, I, it's been like nine years since I finished Steve Joya's Baby Ruth car. Okay. And even, even that car alone got me more Facebook friends that are into this restoring old race cars. It's it's just amazing the interest that there is in just in that part of the sport. I mean, you, you, I mean, I've talked with Steve Miller, with Jimmy Paternaster, uh, umpteen guys out in the Midwest, Pat York, yeah, and, uh, and and there's parts out there if you look. I mean, and, and if you can't find them, there are people that can either find them for you or make them. Make them. Okay. I, I personally, I try to. I like to find the original stuff myself. I mean, I've got like my baby Ruth car. I when I when I got the frame and the assorted parts off from that car from Craig Ravals, I 
there was no rear end with it and no brakes. And I just, and this was back before Facebook, and uh, I just threw some posts out on Pinner's old uh, bar and grill page. Bingo. A guy got a hold of me from Toronto and said he bought both rear ends from the Joya car off of Craig. Wow. So a week after I went to Brackville to pick up the car, back up to Toronto, <laughs> buying rear ends off of the, for that car. And uh, it's just because that car is way more original with original parts than my older one because that one had been handed down and passed around so many times and, and stripped. That one's not it's it's period correct, but then again other parts aren't. You know, right, you, you right. I had to do what I had to do with a forty some year old car versus a fifteen year old car with the sure. like the baby Ruth car was, but But that's what's so amazing to me that you you have now this this big pile of parts for this dates car that I would assume most of it is period correct. Um, and you, and you say a lot of, a lot of it's there. It, in theory, one would think that if the parts are in good shape and, and, you know, and still, you know, you're not going to race the thing. So, um, one would think that this would make your job restoring this car a little easier than, you know, what you had to go through to restore the two Joya cars, because again, you had to source so many parts, whereas now you got a whole bunch of, you know, you got a huge head start. It sounds like. Yeah, I do in a way, but I've noticed that some of the parts that Bill's father had, had acquired, I think they were trying to update the car. Ah. I, in fact, when I, when I unloaded stuff, I, I never really, I, I kind of bought the stuff sight unseen other than the pictures. Okay. And pictures don't do stuff justice, really, right, I don't right. think. I mean, they do to a point, but I noticed that the front axle had tabs on it for a rack and pinion. And Kemp's cars always had a General Motors truck box mounted up in the right front corner. Oh. So, like my older Joya car does, and this wasn't, so this one had already started been changed over. Gotcha. When they when they scrap, so I mean I'm running into stuff like that, and I'm missing a couple torsion bars that I thought were all there, and Bill thought they were, but they they're probably in his dad's basement someplace or in the shed. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he hadn't come across them yet, and like the I need torsion arms and bar or stops and a couple bars, you know, stuff he's still looking for for me, and if not, I got to go on the hunt to find what I need, but. No, I like I said, I haven't really had a chance to go out and inventory everything yet. Okay. Because I've got three cars packed into a two car garage right now. <laughs> so and like you and I talked before we got on the air, uh I went camping that that was a week long process up, you know, getting my camper back up and running again after not going last year and so I really haven't had a chance to get out to the garage much and with summer coming and it's going to be rainy day projects for that for a sure. while until, until winter comes and I can get at it a little heavier. But Well, the beautiful thing about it is there's obviously no deadline. You can, Oh no, you no. know, work yeah. it as you please. Yeah. Um, yeah. but what a cool project this will be for you. And, and, and a bit of a different one because the other two cars that you have, 
the, those were the cars. I mean, you were restoring yeah. cars that we knew what car it was. I mean, we know what chassis this is, but the parts off it are not from that particular car. Yeah. So this kind of gives you an opportunity now to um, to think about, well, gosh, you know, uh, which car, you know, because there were there were a few of those cars that were built in that period. Um, obviously, Kemp's car is 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 fully back. And um, but you had, as you say, the 46, we had the 85. Um, and I know there was another one that I'm not thinking about. Um, the McKnight car. Yes, the six. Right. Um, yep. And talked a lot about that on the on the last show because that car was incredible. And then the uh, the if you really look at it, I would I would bet that the the 27 that kept built for Scott Wilson that turned into Russ Gray's car, um, which was built a year earlier, was probably essentially very similar to those cars, though. I don't know that I'm just guessing, yeah. um, you know, so you got some choices here. And yeah. Um, and so the fun part of this is that, you know, you can kind of sort out what you got and then all you're looking for is basically what you don't have. Whereas I feel like some of the other cars you might've had less, uh, to start with. So it took you longer to go find what you needed. Yeah. In a way, but like both of my Joya cars, I had a lot. Now I, when I picked up the older one from uh, Mike Tynan, He'd gotten everything from Dave Ioso, who had built a rear end for the car. We had a front axle for the car. Oh. I had all the all the torsion bars and arms and stops and shocks. Where you know, I had pretty much an entire car. Fuel. I even had the fuel cell with that car. Oh wow! And uh, yeah, that, and I knew it was the original because I remember when Steve cut it down to lower the the tail down. Okay. So it could have more of a scoop in the back. Yep. And I knew that car. And uh, this this year is going to be a challenge, but it, it's going to be fun. Uh, and before I even went up and before I even let word out that what I had, I had been uh, messaging with uh, Fade Dates. Oh, hey, okay. You know, can you ask him how long those frames were? Because I wanted to, you know, my wife and I decided rather than drag my big trailer up, we're going to rent a small one. Yeah. And, uh so she said, well, I don't know, but we were just at the, they did the open house at the uh, Dirt Hall of Fame the week before. And she said, I wish we'd have known we could have measured it then. I said, well, you know, it's, well, we can do it again when we go over the next time. I said, well, it's no big deal. I just, you know, I don't need an exact length. Right. I mean, is it six feet long? Is it 20 feet long? And she said, let me go ask Kemp. I'll get back. So she saw it between 10 and 11 feet, something like that, blah, blah. And uh, so I said, okay. So then I got back to her a few days before we went up home. And uh, I figured as long as I'm up there, I knew Bill didn't have the uh, in-and-out box. Sure. I said, did, did you ask him what in-and-out box he ran? And she said, he doesn't remember what he put in this car, but he can look the next time. I said, no, nah, it's no big deal. And I'd already gotten a hold of Jimmy Pattern Astor, and I think he's got something I can use, oh, good. but I'm not really sure yet. So she kind of said, well, gee, what's going on? I said, I'm getting close to letting everybody know what's going on. I just don't <laughs> want to let out yet. So I said, you can tell Kemp, well, after I made the post on Facebook, after I picked everything up, uh, she said, well, congratulations. Kemp said, if you need any help, let him know. And I said, well, his, his number is going to be on my 
my uh, speed, dial? speed dial. Yeah. <laughs> she said, "Okay." He said, "He said not a problem." So, yeah, he's, well, he's going to be my new best friend here probably this winter. So. Well, and again, that how cool is that for Ken? Right? At, at, you know, at at his age, and after all that, you know, because I still remember, you know, Kemp just kind of saying, gosh, why would anybody still care about me after all this time? Well, boy, he yep. found out, right? And, yep. um, you know, and, and so I was so happy that Kemp could have that opportunity. And, um, you know, now to see another of his cars coming back to life, regardless of which kind of livery you decided to, to choose for it, um, you know, it really... Um, it's really got to tickle him and I'm sure, you know, he'd, he'll be excited to be able to kind of give you whatever input you need. Right. Um, you know, just, uh, it's an amazing thing really. And, and seeing the, um, the restored 89 car champagne booth car, seeing the pictures of that, uh, that Scott and Jim Martell did. Um, my gosh, I mean, I want, I just, I just wanted to cry like that. That's such an iconic car. And, you know, um, it looks so good. I, I, I hope someday I'm fortunate enough to be able to see it in person because that it looked like they really did a great job with it. And, you know, there's so many of these out there now. And I know Jimmy, Jimmy Paternoster is still working on the rear engine car as he can. Hopefully he'll get it finished up sometime soon, but, um, that one's gotta be really, I know how particular Jimmy is and, you know, that car is a one of a kind. There's, there's only yep. one out there, right? So you really want, cause that was that car, you know, as I said on last week's show, you know, that car changed history, um, you yep. know, and, and, uh, and, and so you, you know, you want to do it well and do it right. And, um, and Jimmy will. So, uh, yeah, incredible, Larry. I mean, it's it's uh, it's nice that you'll at least have something now to kind of pick away at when you have some free time or want to want to do it. And and um, you know, I'm sure that once you get going on it, uh, and as you say, the winter time is always a great time to do that because what else are you going to do all winter? Um, and you can work indoors and whatever and have a good time with it. Um, you know, hopefully maybe in, you know, in a couple of years, we'll see that one out and, uh, and be able to enjoy that. I'm hoping to it. It's, it's going to be a project. I, I, I pretty much figured that out right now. It's going to be some work, but it's like I've told you a million times, I just enjoy doing it. Sure. And, uh, I enjoy doing the other cars. In fact, I'm still over this winter. I found it, uh, found myself watching old speedway videos on youtube and i came across a video that jim bowen had made of steve joya's 1975 car and uh i'd always wondered what the dash looked like in there because i just took a guess at it when i redid it oh and i found a nice a nice uh movie of the dashboard of the whole inside of the car oh wow so i've been in the process of building a new dashboard and i had to change the steering column a little bit more to get it back like what it really was and uh so that that's still going on i've got to take one part back and get redone again but uh that that's been keeping me busy a little bit over the winter but i just caught myself looking for stuff to do sure and I always like to say, man, I wish I could just sit and do nothing. 
And that's what I did most of the winter, and I caught myself being bored stiff. And I said, okay, when, when this whole Dates car project kind of fell in my lap, I said, you know what? I, I didn't know if I had another one in me, but it was it was worth, if for nothing, nothing, no other reason than to save the parts. Sure. You know, I mean, there, you, you look at that picture of the what, six temp dates car that was that were across oh. the the track yes. and i've been using those as a they're they're in my garage right now look they're hanging up so i can look at them and say you know try and find different things about each car yeah you look at all those cars kemp's cars is still alive the del Meek's car is to a certain extent the dan denny car is to a certain extent but the mcknight car is gone the Doug Sire car is gone. The uh, Scott Wilson twenty-seven Russ, Russ Gray, yeah, yeah, that one's gone. Yeah, so there there aren't any left. Yeah, and that's and, and, there's only two. That's and, the and thing. I I thought I had a line on the the frame that Scott Wilson had gotten originally from Kemp with the uh, older style roll cage. Oh, okay, in it. yep, the one that and, Kemp and, drove in the early seventies. Yep. yep, and. Uh, but somebody told me it was outside somebody's house up in Canada, and I asked those people about it, and then I never got they never got back. Oh. I mean, you know, and I said, I, you know, I said, I'm not looking to buy stuff. I just wonder where it is. I mean, like I've even stumbled across that old uh, Clyde Booth car that uh, Randy Ritzkis had. That uh, oh, oh George Herbison. George Herbison. Yeah, basically that car sits out behind his garage. Oh, you wouldn't believe! I've seen pictures of it. The, how much stuff is still on that car? That's awful. Like oh, it, yeah. it's like it's at just, least put it inside. Yeah, <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you try and you can't buy every single car, but you say, man, do something with it. You know, put it inside and try and sell it. Somebody will. I mean, that was a pretty neat car. Well, see, just, there's what I was. You know, I was thinking after you and I talked. That, that about this whole thing when we talked on the phone i was thinking to myself you know because there's always the discussion about because the motors obviously i mean the motor's a motor it's expensive you can't you, you're not getting a motor for you know 100 bucks unless somebody's just that desperate right so yeah. so so you know do we make it run or do we just you know or do we not make it run well you know i thought to myself honestly <laughs> I don't think I know for myself, look, I love seeing him run, but I would just love to be able to have a giant warehouse kind of building and start buying all those frames and have somebody literally just be able to um, build correct period, correct bodies and re, you know, restore them to the colors and the livery and just sit it there. I don't, I, I honestly think that most fans would be fine with that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, that, that's kind of my thought because I but, really don't have a whole ton of money to work right. with. And when I finished my baby Ruth car, that was okay. I've got it. So where it's done enough to show. Yeah. Then I started looking for parts to put the engine together. Cause I, the engine in that car, is that that engine's got a whole history to it anyway. But right. It, it, uh, if I put my mind to it, I could make it run. But then I got looking at all the parts, the pumps, the fittings, yeah. the hoses, and the parts that I don't have. I would 
put so much more into it than what I've already got into it. Yeah. And I'm thinking I'm down here in dirt late model country. And where would I, number number one, where would I start it? Number two, how often could I start it? Would it be really financially viable and to make it? And then I got thinking, no, it's not. It no. just, as much as that was my original goal, I want to finish a car and I want to take some laps of the swiggle with it. Yeah. But it's just, it just didn't make financial sense to me. Right. And with what money I didn't put into that, I was able to save another car. Sure. That had been passed around a hundred times that everybody was going to restore. And the same with this one. I, I, I'm saving a car. The thing that's, that's, the thing that's crazy about this car is like you said, the history it has, it, it went from, um, and, and there's, we're going to do a pop quiz on this at the end of the show, folks. So be ready. Um, it went from the 46 to the two, to the 06, to the 24, to the 56 and all within a fairly short period of time. Right. And it was the same color for, for, um, three of those because Meeks painted it that, oh my gosh, it was the prettiest green. Um, yep. and then Joe Pino kept that green and Mike Brubaker kept that green. And then Bill McDonald at first, when he got it, it was this beautiful yellow, um, you know, and, and, and just, it was like, wow, that car is gorgeous. Um, it was always in the course conium again, I, I love when a car proves, and I think I mentioned this about the McKnight car. Um, you know, it was red with a white six. That was it. There was nothing. Now they in '78 they put some trim on it and did some other things, but it was so basic. And and Conium, had, it was just a white with a blue '46, just like the Rutledge Rocket was. And like I just feel like some of these cars, it. It, they're just of a period in the in the paint jobs that they came up with. So you've really got so much to think about with this car, and you do. And it's it's a decision you don't have to make right away. Yeah, exactly. You know. Yeah. Um, in fact, Bill McDonald and I were talking before a month or two before I went up, and I was rum, rummaging through YouTube one day, and I came across a video from the fairgrounds from 1987. And they started off the video uh, talking with Bill. Oh, wow. And he was working on the car. And he said that was one of the last times he ran it because he ran, only ran a couple laps and the engine went bad. Okay. But uh, when I, I texted him that day, I said, hey, guess what I'm watching on TV? So I sent him, you know, what it was. He said that was so cool because his dad was still in rehab. And he said, I took that over, took my phone over, and I showed Dad, and we got to watch our car Oh, race wow. the out that day. He goes, my dad told me to tell you thank you for sending that. He said, that was just so cool. That's awesome. But, yeah. Yeah, that was one thing he said. I hope you don't mind because there was a couple parts that he showed me that he didn't have at his house. And uh, so he said, yeah, they're still at dad's. I forgot to pack them. So when he went and packed up the dashboard and some old seat belts and stuff, he said, would you mind if dad kept the steering wheel as a memento? I said no, go, you know. It, <laughs> no, those are easy to get. Yeah, I said no, keep keep it. You know, it, you know, it's it's yours anyway. You, you know, right? But that was that was just so cool. But him, him and I had a nice. I mean, we loaded up the stuff in like half an hour, and then we sat in his house and BS for over an hour, hour and a half that morning, and uh, just talked racing. And he even dug out his old fire suit and showed me, and oh, just nice. you know, he's just a nice guy. That's and awesome. uh, I'm trying to get him down to go to the old timers or classic some year that I get up. So, you know, but uh, it, 
don't know. I'm just enjoying the whole hunt was fun to me. Well, which is, yeah. I mean, I would imagine it is because you end up meeting so many different people along the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 almost like a game, you know. <laughs> like, well, you know, you know you... I track down so many old cars; it's it's just amazing. Even in, uh, I got for some reason I got about I don't know three four years ago or more. I got on this hunt to find Dave McKnight's car. Everybody knew it went to Texas and then it disappeared. Yep. I traced that one all the way two different times over the course of two years. I traced it back up to the Pacific Northwest. Oh, wow. And the last the last time even Davey Jr., me and him and Alec Dates, uh, Kemp's nephew, we were all tracking it down. And uh, it was maybe about the time that Kemp was looking for a car. I can't remember. But, uh, yeah, I actually got to talk to the last owner of that frame, and he goes, no, I took that one to the junkyard and scrapped it. <sighs> because that one was kind of an oddball car. It basically was a dates car, but Spencer had changed the some of the radius wrap positions and stuff. And when Conium come back in to run it, they changed everything back. Yeah, I, I remember yeah. reading the program where Conium talks about that, yeah. how he thought they, you know, they they figured they would probably want to change everything back. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, and again, John made the changes to suit yep. his, you know, yep. what he wanted, and then it didn't necessarily yep. maybe work as well as he hoped it might. Yep. So um, when Warren got in it, he had been used to sort of Kemp's, and so he just, um, they just put it back, and <laughs> goodness gracious, yeah. you can't argue with the success they had. Uh, I remember the first time I got, I was ch- chasing that car down, I was talking with uh, Debbie Hall, uh, Ronnie Wallace's daughter, and she said so something about, well, Dave McKnight says, if you can find that car, I said, really? She said, yeah, he's sitting right here. You want to talk to him? Oh, said, yeah. So Dave, Dave and I, I mean, we go way back anyway, oh, cool. because him and his wife, they used to spend weekends at my parents. Oh, wow. You know, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I always got to look at that car when it was, you know, on the, tr- on the truck. And uh, so he said, you find that car. He said, I'll pay you to go get it and bring it back and blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, I hated to tell him. I said, well, it got up to pacific northwest and then over into canada and it got scrapped and then somebody tried to find it again a couple years ago so we tracked it all down again we even went through the guy in texas that he sold it to his daughter thought it was still there but it was another car that he bought after that one okay so i mean it's just it's just a a hoot to track these down it's like doing ancestry things yeah you know your family tree it's a good point. Yeah, it's it's a high speed family tree. And the thing is, of course, you know, these people that buy these cars back then, they have no idea. They're not thinking about, well, that somebody might want this back. Right. There's no that yeah. doesn't you can't blame anybody, but it's just, you know, gosh, it's like, man, you know, somebody might want that. It's like I, so I hate, you know, and there's so many, for example, now I'm working with a group called Stock Car Classics and, and it's a southeast based group. These men have all gone out and they've got old you know, NASCAR cup cars from the fifties all the way up to like 2006 or seven. And they've, you know, restored them. And, and, you know, they're actually 
going to different tracks. You know, we went to Road Atlanta last weekend as part of the Midi, which is a big historic race. And then we're at Darlington on track. And then uh, for the throwback weekend, then um, All-Star Race going to get some laps there, too. And it's like that's sort of a, an elevation, but it's still the idea. There's this huge market now for these old cars, and it's so fascinating to um, – to see, you know, people start posting pictures like, well, I got this car. Is this anything? You know? Yeah. It's like, well, to somebody it is, you know? Yep. Oh, for sure. You yep. know? It's crazy. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it's so cool to see that. And it's got to be, you know, such a labor of love to be able to, um, you know, to put these cars back together and give them new life again. And, of course, your, your two cars were Steve cars and, and those were sort of personal to you. This one, not so much necessarily personal though. Um, you know, you did work on the Brubaker car. So that by default means the parts certainly are, you know, like it's, it's so again, I'm, just, I'm, I'm going to find the, the, the process that you go through to decide which livery you're going to make it. I'm going to find that to be fascinating and very intriguing to see what you decide because there's obviously a number of options there. And, um, but of course, you know, there's a long way to go before you, because I think most of those cars um, of that period, I would imagine were similar enough in the parts anyway. And the chassis, I can't imagine would be too awful much different from 76 or basically what was 75 to 76 as far as when they were built. Um, so my my thought would be that y- you wouldn't necessarily have to make the decision off the bat what it was going to be in the end. You could kind of just start putting it together and then figure out where it leads you. Yeah, that that's that's the plan right now. Yeah. I mean, it just, it's going to take a while because everything's been sitting since, at least since 87, 88. Wow. And and it was just most of the parts were stacked either in Bill's father's shed okay. or in his brother's uh, the back room of his brother's upholstery shop. So stuff, it, you know, it's it's a little none the worse for wear. But I mean, everything going to need to be gone through and cleaned yeah, up for and, sure and de-rusted and stuff like that. But you know, I I do have a lot to work with. But then again, I'm still missing stuff. But yeah, I kind of figured that. Yeah. You know, that comes with the territory of buying something that's 38 years old, 35 years old. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> it's incredible yeah. to think. Oh, it, you got to clean them all, right? The parts are going to need to be oh, cleaned oh, and yeah. sanded or whatever yeah. you do, yeah. right? So, yeah. Yeah, so it's not an easy thing. And, and, and the fact that you're still missing stuff just means that now you, you got to, that's the hunt. So now you get to have oh, yeah. some more fun with the yeah. hunt. You know, yep. more hunting. Yeah. 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 Well, I never hunted, hunted deer with a gun or anything like that. So I just hunt race car. Parts. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Kind of like a high speed Elmer Fudd. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's about far it. less violent. Uh, I might add, um, but more expensive. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> probably way more costly than the bullets. You were shooting Daffy Duck's head off with, yeah. but yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, that it, listen, I, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm over the moon because I just love seeing these cars come back and I have no mechanical talent whatsoever. So it would never be, even if I were someday to be blessed with 
being a millionaire. Um, I would, it would never be me, um, doing all the work. So, um, you know, for me to be able to sort of live that through somebody else and then to see that car come back to life and be able to look at it as for me, those are time machines, kind of like the programs, right? You, you hold something in your hand that's 50 years old and you start reading and you remember stuff. And, um, and it's it's it it transports you right back, uh, you know, to to that to that time. So um, it makes us feel young again. <laughs> yeah, the Lord knows we need something for that, right? Um, well, man, this is it. It's it's been great to 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 hear that story and to know that you've got this car now, and there's yet another um, another uh, project getting underway. Um, and you know obviously there's no pressure there's no deadline you just can have fun with it and and um see what you got there and um but we're all obviously excited about that and um i think we're gonna have to um we're gonna have to develop a gofundme account to uh raise the funds to get you one of those big stacker trailers so you can bring all the (laughs) and the gas money to bring all the cars at once when they're done to a swiggo for a classic so you can can all enjoy yeah now, so. my old car owner, Jeff Westill, had his tractor trailer and stuff. We could fit three cars in that one, but he well, got he got rid of that one a long time ago. <laughs> Probably smart. Uh, yeah. Although he's got to have something because he's bringing a bunch of midgets in the super up uh, north um, at some point later this year around 10,000 to win time because I think that's the one, uh, the first time you're going to see Bobby Santos there with, with the super. Um, he's going to run the midgets at Seaconk earlier that week, then come to Oswego. Oh, cool. So, yeah. Oh, so, that's cool. Yeah. So uh, I think I think he's hoping anyway. They're hoping for that race in the Classic. Um, so, you know, you, you, you see where that goes. But, yeah, he's going to have to have a fairly good size uh, – trailer for all of that because he's got three or four midgets uh i think he's got more than that actually but i don't know how many of them they'll actually bring across the country so um fun stuff for sure and um you know again thank you for your time and thank you for all that you've done to restore these cars but and you know that that's um and and thank you to everyone who's doing all of these things because gosh the memories that that preserves um you know, for those of us who were blessed enough to have lived that era. And, and, and the fact is it's also a teaching tool because every time I show a picture of any of the restored supers to someone who's in go-karts or legends or late models or whatever, they all look at it and they all want to know what's the story behind that car. And so it's even, you know, and you take it and do, you know, appearances and I know that you've had a lot of kids that just gawk at those things as if, and of course down here, nobody knows what, <laughs> you know, knows what a super modified is anymore. Cause there's none that race here, um, used to, but not anymore. And so, um, you know, it's just, it's awesome to, to be able to, to preserve the history. Well, I enjoy it and it's just, I don't know. I just try and do my part to keep the history alive of the, of the Swingo Speedway. I, I just, you know, like I've told you a million times, and everybody knows, I grew up a quarter of a mile there. Yep. My dad, my dad worked there 50 years. I was, I sold programs with him for a few years, and then went into the pits, and now I got into this. It just, I don't know. I just enjoy it. It's just try and do my part. Absolutely. It, you know. Yep. It's yep. just an enjoyable thing for me to do in my retirement years. How is but, your how's your mom doing? We all want to know that. You said she turned ninety three years young. 
Yep, she's doing fine. Good. Yep, she's she's doing very well. Well, God bless Thank her. Thank you for asking. We she's hope, uh, uh, oh, when I told her about this project, she's you're doing another race car. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> she said, I can only imagine what your father would say. I said, I know what he says. He yells at me every time I walk in the garage. <laughs> what is the matter with you? you know? <laughs> yeah, it's a lot cheaper to. It'd be a lot cheaper to sell programs again if there were still <laughs> programs to sell. Right? You can make money from that. Um, you know, speaking of programs, have you seen on Facebook? There's a, a gentleman found. Some of the pre-Speedway Press programs from 1961 and 62. No, yesterday. I didn't see that. Yes, yes. You'll have to send me I, a link. Those, those were there. I think they're on uh, on Facebook on probably the Speedway Glory page. Okay, I'm wow. Pretty sure, I can't think of the gentleman's name, but I know they were from 61 and 62 because that's when I was selling books with Dad. Okay, wow, yeah. that's incredible. Well, see there again, you know, I mean, I just, um, somebody, uh, somebody had, um, you know, I, when I went to Shemung back in 2002 to run that track, one of the things uh, that I did is every Monday I would spend the entire day, um, basically doing all the writing and laying out, um, the pages for their program that they had at the time. And, and I, you know, about a year ago, I, kind of it was like man i don't have any of those i'd like to have one just as a memento and um and i went on to their sort of memorial you know old old time history page that they have and somebody actually had one and um we we made a, a arrangements for him to he was happy to get it to me and um and it sits here behind me uh oh, and, cool. with your uh, inside groove t-shirt and a whole bunch of other things and so yeah <laughs> at some point we'll have a um we'll have a an office space uh that will be able to sort of display everything and do it right but yeah so like those things again it it may not mean anything to the to the to the person who currently has it but it means something to somebody and yep. it was awesome to be able to get that program and to look through it and remember, you know, the work that went into, cause that was basically, um, I think eight to 10 hours. I worked that day, uh, every Monday, just putting that together. And it was, we were, uh, you know, we really enjoyed doing that and, um, created a, an Ivor like character and, um, just, yeah, it was just, uh, those are fun. And, but to find something that old, to think that that is 60 plus years old. Yeah. And it even, Those it even, programs. One of the covers advertises it as, so it had to be in 61, I think it said, three-quarter mile track. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I think that might have been when when they were enlarging it, Harry was going to do so a three-quarter track. <laughs> the track yeah. shrunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody must have yeah. thrown it in the dryer and it shrunk. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's, it, it. I mean, again, that's just, that that blows my mind that, that that you know something that old could still be in such good condition that you could actually like hold it in your hand and read it and 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 um just incredible i mean you 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 think about someday you know that they're all going to be a century old if you oh, know yeah. if somebody you know young enough wants to sort of curate them i mean you know um but uh yeah i mean and 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 of course you know your your mom uh, your mom was a saint, and I think she she had to have enjoyed it all as much as your dad. Otherwise, all those, um, you know, parties and guests and all of that wouldn't have happened. And so, you know, uh, well, we we did a bit of racing reminiscing when we were up 
two weeks ago. So, uh, yeah, oh, she remembers. She doesn't. She doesn't miss much. I'll tell you that. That's she, great. She remembers a lot of things that what went on back then and some of the weekend ordeals that we went through. And uh, yeah, she she's. She's not, she hasn't lost anything in that respect. I know that. God bless her. Well, you know, we, we pray that she remains well and, and, uh, and happy and, in, you know, is enjoying her, her life at this point. And, and, uh, again, thanks for, for all your support with this show and all you do for the, the, the sport. And, um, you know, look forward to continuing to talk to you as you start sort of sorting through and, you know, anything that you're missing, obviously, once you get a list. We'll make sure, bring you on, let you read the list. We'll share it, you know, uh, whatever, however we got it. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can, you know, we can do our small part to help you track down some stuff. Um, well, appreciate you know. the offer because I know that's good. That there are parts that are going to be needed that I don't have, but I will keep that offer in mind. Well, uh, look forward to it and look forward to getting over there uh, at some point this year to see it and uh, and and get a good look at it because I've still never even seen the uh, the Joya Chevy done. Uh, so um, you know, look forward to that and uh, we'll get over there and 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 see you when I'm when I'm passing uh, over in Tennessee here. So um, thanks again, Larry. Appreciate all your time as always and all that you do for the show. And uh, uh, we'll talk again soon. Okay, well, thanks for having me on, Tom. Appreciate it. That is Larry Trinka. We'll be back with more of The Groove right after this. Okay, folks, I want to tell you about one of our sponsors here on Inside Groove, Indie Performance Composites. They're a premier composite design and manufacturing company creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Jeff West and his team are amazing. They do all kinds of work in the motorsports industry from dirt tracks to NASCAR to IndyCar, super modifieds. It doesn't matter if you've got something that you need designed or fabricated. Let them help you transform your idea, your vision and your budget into a workable, high performance solution. They have all kinds of services from 3D printing to finishing services End-to-end composite solutions is what they are. Check them out, ipcindy.com or indieperformancecompositesinc.com and tell them that the folks from Inside Groove set you. Welcome back to the show, and it is time for one of my favorite parts of the show to do every every show because it's time for what's in the number and this is fun because it's it always is a brain teaser for me i always mess up a few times um leave people out uh sometimes leave a current guy out which is really embarrassing but (laughs) but i'm old and sometimes the tabs freeze up uh and i can never figure out which one's playing the music so um this week, we've got 7 and 16 to do, and both of these numbers are interesting. I, I feel like 7, um, the, the number 7, I feel like really is one of the numbers that belongs to somebody from the modern era, which of course would be Otto Sinnerly, right? Um, that, when I think of the number 7, and you kind of think about, well, who who is sort of the the, the one with you know, the biggest impact or whatever. 
Um, Otto certainly is that guy. So, uh, you know, the the championships, the classic wins, um, all the the work that Otto's done for other people, because Nakota Racing uh, for years ran multiple cars, not necessarily every week, but, um, you know, used to run two or three in the classic. I think one year they had four, if I'm remembering correctly. I may not be, but I feel like there was one year they had four. Um, it, uh, you know, it, it's, that's his number. However, uh, <laughs> that's sort of the end of the story for the seven, right? Cause he's still racing. So he's still making history with it is my point. And, um, so we need to go backwards a little bit and I'm not even going to attempt to figure out if anybody, I'm sure that somebody in the fifties or sixties had a seven. I, I mean, I'm just sure that's it. Um, somebody had to have run it. The, the first one that I remember was actually, I'm trying to think real quickly off the top of my head in 1973. I do not remember a seven. There may have been one. Oh, wait, hang on. I, I need to, because uh, again, as I think here, sometimes things pop into my head. The Max Dowker number seven was the one that I remember first. Now, it wasn't, um, I didn't start going till 73. So Johnny Logan raced that car. And I think if I remember correctly, Nolan, didn't Nolan Johncock drive the seven? I seem to think he did. I know he had a number 50 and that was the one that I think he backed. Didn't he, didn't that the one he like knocked a bunch of billboards down? I don't know if he went out of the park with it, but backed it into the, the billboards over in turn one and two or the scoreboard or something. But, um, I think Nolan also drove the seven, didn't he? Um, John Logan drove it in 72 and then, um, so that's the one, and that was, I mean, Dowker's cars are always great cars, and that one particularly, I think John won a race or two with it, and they were always very competitive. And um, so then when, by the time that I think uh, Max came back, um, and it may have been that uh, Marvin Carmen, I know Marvin drove it, a few times, but I think it was 17 or it would be like 76 or some other number that wasn't being used. Cause they had to change it because eventually there were other sevens. Right. Um, so I had to renumber it back then in the good old days, you didn't have three of the same number on the track like we do now, which confuses the heck out of people who don't know any better. Right. <laughs> which 50 is that? Um, and, uh, but they have the automatic computerized scoring now. So, you know, they don't make people change numbers anymore. I always hated the double numbers when they would, you know, so I was like actually changing numbers. So you always know who's in what car. But anyway, um, that's the the seven that I, I didn't see it race with Johnny in it. Um, I tend to think that the first guy I saw in it was Marvin Carmen. And I think, I don't know what relation Jerry Carmen was to, to Marvin. I don't know if it was his brother or, um, you know, what relation, but I'm sure they were related. Um, he came, remember, uh, Max built the titanium car. That was, gosh, when was that? Late seventies, maybe. 
boy, Jerry hit the wall of that thing, and that car folded up like a Pepsi can. Um, it um, just destroyed the car. Hit the outside wall, hit the inside wall, and that car was junk. Um, and it, I mean, again, when you're using lightweight, you know, that's, um, I, I think, uh, you know, that was, uh, that was tough because I really wanted to see that car run more to see what it had, but man, they, I, that was, that was all used up, but, um, Max, um, Max was, I, I just thought those cars were great. And, and Max, again, one of those car owners in the seventies that, you know, fielded a car for a long time and without the Max Dalkers of the world, um, you know, and as we've talked about with guys like Herm Graf and, you know, we're going to talk Steve Miller in a minute. Those were the guys that really were the color in the division because they were loyal as could be and had so many different drivers, gave drivers their first opportunities, you know, things like that. So um, that's the, the seven that I kind of remember just out of seeing it in programs. Now, the first one that I remember seeing on the track, and I'm I'm not sure if Max Delker's seven showed up in 73 at all or not. It may have. Um, but um, first one I remember is the car I talked about last week, which is the Norm Hagen number seven that uh, Baldy Baker came out of retirement to drive and was in it for a little while and then kind of um, somehow... <laughs> either through demand or whatever. <laughs> either Cheney wanted out of the six or Baldy wanted back in it because they ended up swapping, right? And Cheney finished the year of 74 in the seven, ran the classic together. Cheney didn't really set the world on fire with the car. Um, and that car only ran that one year as the seven. And then I think that it was in 1976 that Ronnie Graves came out. He had bought the older of the Ron Buckner cars that Bob Stelter drove. That would have been the car that Buck built prior to, I think, 72. I think he would have built it over the winter of uh, 71, between 71 and 72. He ran it uh, 72, and then I think may have started the year 73 with it. And then um, Bobby Stelter got in it. They had a couple really great years together and then built a new car for 75. And it, you know, just didn't click as well. Um, and after that season, that car got sold. Um, the older car, I mean, got sold and Ron Graves brought it out and ran it as the seven. I believe this would have been 76. I it might have been, I guess, no, I guess it was 75. I guess it was 75, maybe. Um, Ronnie brought that that car out, and uh, he had it for a bit and actually had a couple of top fives with it. Um, ran good, ran good with it. Um, and then um, he sold that car to Kevin Lyons at some point and ended up, uh, he drove the he drove the uh, number thirty seven, the John Corb car, for a night or two. He he drove um, what was the other car that I remember him driving. He drove 
the Steve Miller 16. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, but I think, I think by the time he drove for Steve Miller, I think he'd also been bought and been racing uh, Freddie's 38 car. The, the little roadster that Freddie built prior to 75, Ron bought that and started racing that, ran that as the number seven first, and then eventually brought it back and had it as 98. Um, and the, the next number seven that I remember, and I for years wanted to see a picture of this car, because I hadn't, I remembered it kind of, but foggy, like I couldn't make it focus in my head. Uh, there was a guy named Dave Burton or Barton. I can't remember which it was. Maybe it was, I think it was Burton. Guy named Dave Burton. He was out of New England, I, I learned, just not too long ago. Uh, I'd forgotten. You know, I, I remembered him coming out because I remembered there was this car that was numbered seven and... Um, and again, I was so young back then, right? Um, I didn't, you know, I didn't really, I just remember it like, boy, did that thing fly down the straightaways. I mean, it, it, you know, I don't know that it got through the corners as well as he'd hoped it would. (laughs) Um, but, um, but it seemed to have a lot of horsepower and Dave, um, Dave made a pretty good impression for a short amount of time. And I, I think I only remember maybe that he raced only one year and I'm not sure he raced every week, but that was still kind of mid seventies getting, you know, 76, 77, 78, you know, those, that area. Um, gosh, let's see. Um, then where do we go with the seven from there? Um, Hmm. Let's see. Um, boy, this is this is strange because usually I don't I don't I don't stall out. My brain doesn't freeze up until I get to like the nineties or two thousands. I'm trying to remember who would have had a seven. Uh, you know, even in the eighties uh, or the nineties, I do remember that at one point. And what year would this have been? I'm going to say it was in the 90s. Had to be, right? Or the 80s? Would it have been the 80s? Um, see, this is where time condenses for me. And I and I, it's all like it's one big file in my head. Um, but Bill Sharkey, after he left, he and Craig Danzer parted ways. Billy bought a car that I believe was the old Tobin offset car, I think. I think I can't remember, but it was a really good car and that was numbered seven. And he had some good runs in that car. And then he had a garage fire and um, I want to say it, it, you know, hurt the car beyond, you know, I, I don't think he ever brought it back if I remember right. But uh, that was a really good race car that he had, whatever it was. I do believe it was Graves car and Billy, uh, Billy ran well with that. Did a good job with it. Um, man, I know that <laughs> I know there's got to be more sevens than that because seven's a fairly common number and I'm 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 stalling out here and trying to buy time. Um, 
let me fast forward here because this I do know. Obviously, we had at some point the coach for racing and Otto Sitterly, uh with the number seven. And here's what's interesting is there were, I think there were a couple times when Otto Tribbett Davey raced the, the, the six car, I think for the most part, um, maybe the two sometimes, I think Davies was mostly the six Otto would race the six sometimes, but I don't think he ever did for classic. I think Otto may have been the only one to race the seven, um, or at least for the most part, um, gosh, I, I know I've got to be missing some guys in between, but I cannot, my, my brain does not want to focus. Um, the Kovacs cars, I think, um, I know the Kovacs car, um, Kovacs cars were, were, uh, I think they were, there was a seven and I think, I think it was seven for at least part of the time when Dave McKnight Jr. drove it. I want to say maybe, um, and I don't know who else might've been in it. I know when all Britain won the Isma race classic race in it, which I think was his last win at Oswego. I think it was 77. So that would tell me we had a seven unless they had made him 71 by then. Um, Cause I know that was another number that that team used. And I think at first, at least it was a backup, like a, a, a changed number for, for classic. Um, but, but it may have been that one was the seven and then the second car was the 71. And they always ran both of them. Bentley ran those cars for a, a little bit. Those were the old Didero Matzik cars that I'm thinking of. And Bentley drove that a uh, couple times for Matzik. And then I think he ran it a couple of years with, with Kovacs too. And I think he ran 71, but um, gosh, I feel like I've got to be missing some sevens here. So I guess y'all have to help me out on that. Um, let's get to 16 because this one, uh, again, I'm going to, I'm going to mess this up badly and it's going to be, mostly the modern times with Steve Miller, because when it got to this, this last couple of cars that Steve owned, there were a number of drivers who drove the car that I, again, I was not going every week and I just, the names don't have any resonance for me. And I'm, I'm forgive me. I'm not trying to disrespect anyone just saying that, um, you know, I just never watched much of them and so there are some folks that Steve had, Steve had drive toward the end that I'm just not going to remember. Um, so I already know that. So those of you who are, you know, of uh, still sort of up on the, you know, and still going and still um, you can fill in those gaps when we, when we get there and sl- slap some comments uh, and, and finish the list. But here's, here's, here are the ones that I'm sure of Steve Miller. Again, God bless him, him and Sharon and, and the Miller family that again, one of the first families of, of the the seventies, because you know, it, it just the loyalty of the, of the car owners back then. Right. Um, and Steve always, you know, always, always, always Steve always put cars together and, you know, it was a labor of love for him never had the fastest car, the biggest motor, but boy, um, his cars always looked sharp. 
And they, you know, he had some horses um, behind the wheel. He definitely had some racehorses. So now, obviously, Steve drove his car off and on different times. So we'll we'll sort of lay that to the side. We we know that the first driver I remember that he had again. This is from programs from that year. Ray Sand. Um, Ray Sand drove the car. And I, again, uh, don't remember the, quite the history of that car, but um, it was not the car that I first remember seeing as the Sweet 16. Um, it was uh, that it was a different car. Ray Sand drove it. Ron Wallace drove it in 72, I believe. Um, and maybe Jim Gray uh, might have driven it a time or two that year as well. But I know I'm almost positive that both Ray Sand and Ronnie Wallace spent time in it in 72. When we got to 73, now, this is where I'm a little fuzzy because I'm trying to think. I'm pretty sure that it was in 73, but it may not have been until 74. But the first driver that I remember watching drive the 16 was Sean Shanahan out of Canada. Do you remember Sean? I always, of course, back then I'm like five and it's S-E-A-N. Now, the English language, I could do an entire show making fun of the English language. Um, Some of my favorite comedians uh, are the ones that pick on the language. George Carlin was great at it. Gallagher was even better at it because he wasn't you know, as R-rated, didn't cuss, didn't feel the need to cuss as much. Um, but um, anyways, S-E-A-N, seen. <laughs> well, no, it, it, it's, it's Sean, uh, which is Gaelic for John, by the way. Um, and, and Juan is, is, again, that's, you know, Juan Pablo Montoya is John Paul Montana. <laughs> You know, it's a translation thing. So, um, which, which, by the way, Juan Pablo Montoya and John Paul Montana sound like two entirely different professions, don't they? Uh, <laughs> John Paul Montana does not sound like a racing name. Anyway, back to topic. So I remember Sean, and I don't think he ran a full season in the car, um, at, uh, at some point. And again, this Sean might have been in 73 or it might have been the start of 74, but I think it might have been the start of 74 because I, I, if I remember correctly, I think Ronnie Wallace started that year in the Shamrock 13, um, you know, which again, it was never, that was, uh, that had to be frustrating because everybody that got in that car seemed like the car might have been a good car, but it just didn't seem like the Ford motor was all that good. Um, Again, just being observational, not trying to be disrespectful. Um, Ronnie started in the 13, and next thing I knew, he was in the 16, and I think he may have replaced Sean. And he finished 74 in that in the Sweet 16 and um, did pretty well, you know, uh, and then retired for a bit. <laughs> that lasted a couple months. And... Uh, Dick Rayner and Roscoe Town were relentless 
in pursuit of Ronnie's talents for their uh, car for 1975, which they threw a gold paint job on and made it the spirit of 76. Um, and a track championship was born, right? We all know how that story went. Um, amazing what those two accomplished. But anyways, um, so Ronnie retired. Now, in in 75, I do not remember. And there were, I think, some moments in there. I think Bruce Kraft had been in the car. And again, I don't remember the years for some of these, but I think I know Bruce at some point was in it for a bit. Um, now, where this gets tricky is I don't, I think Red Barnhart might have started the season in the car. And um, Red, that was kind of a come out of retirement sort of thing. And I think Red had some good runs in it, but I think he he crashed a couple of times. And there was a point, I think, where Miller got behind on the finances. So um, he parked the car for a bit. And then a guy named Jerry Buskey, I think, kind of um, partnered with him in some sort of way. And he became the driver. And that's what launched Jerry Buskey's super modified racing career. I don't know. I think Jerry might have run something at Fulton but I don't remember. He may not have run anything at all. Um, but Jerry actually, Jerry turned into a very good super modified racer. And honestly, um, had Jerry had, you know, again, so many of the racers in that era, you know, we always talk about how much cheaper it was, but in reality, um, you know, it, it, um, the, the motor aspect at least definitely wasn't, I think that was a lot of, a lot of people's sort of uh, downfall in 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 that decade was because the motors were uh, at least through seventy five. I think they banned aluminum blocks going into what year seventy six, maybe. But you know, motors back then, you know, I mean, if you could afford a good motor, you went because the again, you know, none of the cars. It wasn't like you know we didn't have arrow. You know, the, the, the cars weren't planted like they are now. You know, the cars are entirely different now. It There's there's no, you, it's it's not about driver anymore. It's it's really just, can you hang on to the race car? You know, the, 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 everybody's running the same speed and they're all running flat out. So like, you know, they're, the, it's just different. Back then, I feel like in the 70s, none of the cars were great handling cars. It was just who could make, you know, the best of the the, the least, right? And and I feel like motor was so important back then. Now, it's still important, but I think the race car helps you more. So, um, you know, Jerry, because he ended up with a Dates chassis, um, and uh, I think that might have been in 1978. And that was Jerry had some good runs with that 60 car. I don't know where that went, but uh, Jerry had some good runs with that car. I think that might have been um, I think John Hopkins might have bought that car. Now that I think about it, because I do think there was one night of the swiggle where Ronnie McLeod showed up driving it. And I think John owned it. Um, and I don't know where that went. I don't know if it still exists. Larry Trinka 
here's there's there's one for you. <laughs> Larry is the Larry is the the um the the detective of uh he 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 chases down the the history and where did these cars end up? Did they get scrapped or not? He's Larry's a, a great investigative reporter when it comes to the older cars. So uh yeah, I, I'd love to know the history or where the 60s sits right now cuz I think that um maybe sometime that was that might have been 79 but i remember i feel like it came to a race maybe the last race of the year and i think ronnie mcleod got in it um but anyways um gosh so so jerry drove for steve for i think 75 the remainder and 76 maybe and i remember that and it might not even have been the whole 76 season because i there was i'm trying to think what year um no i think it was yes i think jerry ran all of 76 as well i think and then in 77 I believe that Ronnie Wallace ended up back in the car because uh, that was when Rainer in town sold everything to Richie Evans. And he just ended up out of a ride for a while. Um, and they sold it all, the modified gremlin that they had and, and the supers and all that. So I think Ronnie ran the 16 for most of 77, had a, a top five or two with it. And... Then I believe that the new offset 76 that Rainer and town built for Ronnie was brought out for the 77 classic and Jim gray got into the 16 for that classic weekend. I believe he might've won. Um, well, he may not have, he might've won a heat or he was second in the, he, he finished well in the, in, in the wacky races to get into the show. So in uh, 1978, wow, um, where do we go here? Um, I know there was a point in time where that car, and I don't remember the year, where that car was sold to Lionel Earl. And I'm thinking it may have been in 78. And I and I think Steve Miller ended up driving it for the classic. I, I'm trying to remember because it was also it might have been seventy nine or eighty when that happened because somewhere in the later eighties was when Ralph McLaughlin bought the number seven car from Norm Hagen and um made it into the forty eight super, his first forty eight super. And Steve Miller was his first driver. So um, I think at that point, Steve had parked the 16 to drive the 48. And then I think it, it kind of, I think it went from Steve to maybe John Bush in the 48 car. And then I think John, um, I think there became, uh, I think later John had the show car, which I think Ralph ended up buying. And, um, gosh, Steve. So somewhere in there was the 89, um, I think was the number they used. 
that Lionel Earl owned and Steve drove. I'm not I I'm not thinking they made the classic. Um they came close, but I don't think they made it. Not sure. So that car eventually was replaced by an offset car which carried Steve forward and um now also in that period I think Fred uh, sorry Ron Graves actually started out one year in the car and that might have been 78 now that I'm thinking about it he might have started it was either yeah, I think it would have been either 77 or 78. I think Dave Morton drove it a time or two. Um, I mean, there were a number of drivers who drove that particular car, and that's the one that Steve, that they've now rebuilt. Um, he and the other gentleman that that works with him, they've rebuilt that car, restored it, and it's been, Steve's been in it, and the other guy's been in it. It's been uh, to Pocono, I think, for... Uh, one of the historic races or whatever exhibitions. Um, so that car still exists. Thank God. Um, Cause that was a cool looking car. So the newer car that he built. Um, again, this is where I'm going to start messing up. Cause he had so many different drivers over a period of time. I, I don't know if he was the first one to drive it or not. He might have been. Steve himself might have been the first one to get in the car and drive it. Um, I remember Joe Paino driving it very early on in its existence. And uh, I know that there was one night when Joe was Joe was out with a with an ear infection in her ear, um, equilibrium issue. That was first I'd ever heard of that. Um, and I've since learned a lot about the ear canal and um, the um, the different sort of parts of the ear and, you know, that affect all that. I've, I've, I've gained some knowledge there a little bit. Um, and so, gosh, um, I know there was a gentleman named Leroy Hurlbut, who I think was a dirt racer. Johnny Barker drove it for a while, fairly early on. John ran, I think, maybe a season or two in it, and Leroy Hurlbut got in it. And at one point, I think Jay Andrews was in that car, or JJ um, was was in that car, I think, for a year. Um, oh, man. And this is, again, this is where I'm going to start losing because uh, Dean Hogue drove it. Dean had a top five. I think Dean and Joe Paino both had top five finishes, if I remember right, with that car. Dean drove it. I think it was the last car Dean raced at a Swiggo fire. And that would have been, I'm going to guess that had to be early 90s, right, if I remember back a couple shows. I think that might have been early 90s. Um, there uh there was there was a gentleman named Hartman, and I think he is he the one that has it now. I can't remember the other gentleman's name that that kind of works with Steve with that car. And I, I um, but I think there was a gentleman named Hartman. G, uh, no, uh, not yet. Uh, Hartman, I think drove it. Um, 
I think I'm missing a driver or two in that car. And then um, I don't know where that car ever went. But there was another car that was built later, and that would have been, this would have been into the 90s, I believe. Um, and it had, he built it, it was an offset, he built it with a sprint car tail. And that's the car, I remember Gene Lee Gibson driving, and then again, you, you had a bunch of, I think there was a gentleman whose last name was White, who was in it. Um, and, oh boy, um, I think Kelly... Did Kelly drive that car? Um, at least one of his sons, I think, drove that drove that car for a bit. Um, he had two of them at one point. They were basically identical, at least to the to the to the fans' uh, perspective. Probably were some differences. If you build a second one, you probably you know change it a little, but similar looking. Because I know that um, I know Keith uh, Champagne drove it in an Isma race. Um, I'm not sure if he qualified or not, but it was a con scene. It was a last minute thing. I think, I don't know. I, I don't remember the details of that, but I think Keith got in it once. I think that was his first, uh, wing start was in one of those, in, in one of those cars. Um, I always loved it. Uh, the sprint cartel was cool, but Jingley Gibson is the, the one I remember. He went pretty well with, with it. And then of course there was a point where um, they were only running the Isma shows and Dave Gruel got in it and boy, did he fly. And finally, and this was, uh, well, yeah, this had to be well into the 2000s, right? Mid 2000s, Dave Gruel ended up winning the King of Wings race. Was that, I think that was the race he won. And I could still remember, I was literally, I was watching it live on um and you know the live stream and i could still rem i was literally jumping up and down like i was so happy for for steve miller because i that man and sharon and uh, like everybody that was a part of that group decades of you know blood sweat and tears and never tasted victory lane except maybe in like a heat race or whatever and here they were and that was just so cool. Um, you know, and, and I and I know there were some other drivers again. I, I think uh, maybe Jim Shirey. Did Jim Shirey drive it at one point? Um, I mean, there, I, I feel like there were a couple of drivers that, um, gosh, I don't know. Did one of the Sacconis drive it? I mean, Lou drove so many different cars. I don't know about Bob. I would guess if, if that would be, it would be Lou. Um, but, uh, I had a bunch of drivers and, and we've done a show with Steve, which I got to dig that one back out. We'll, we'll, we'll try to, to repackage re, uh, that and get it back out to sort of follow the show, um, in between this one and the next one, which, uh, uh, we'll be coming up with Camden proud here, our season preview. We'll try to toss out the, uh, a, a, uh, toss out the Steve Miller show again. Um, just, uh, just a legend. And now the, the driver who owns the 16 number, I think is, uh, Craig Gravels. I think that's the car that Craig's been supposed to bring out for like the last four years. So hopefully we'll get to see it, uh, a few times this season. Finally, um, 
course, you know, obviously the world stopped for a bit, and, and that interrupted a lot of things, especially between Canada and the U.S., right? Travel and whatever. So, uh, but Logan's back running, and hopefully uh, they'll get Craig's car out, um, which he has the 16 on that right now. So, I like I said, I know I'm missing some car, some uh, drivers, especially in the modern era, and I'm probably missing a couple from back in the day as well because, you know, again, it was, you know, I know Ronnie Wallace had multiple stints. Uh, Jim Gray, I think, had more than one stint. Um, you know, Joe Paino might have. I'm not sure. Um, you know, that he that was uh there were so many one-offs and that's what that's what was always fun about like the graph car the miller car even the whistling car to a point early on and then gary kelly settled into it for you know a good bit and then um after gary quit racing then it became more of a rotating seat and we kind of went back through all that when we did the number four but that was fun back then in the 70s uh because, you know, sometimes you didn't know it was going to be in what car till you got to the racetrack. And the way Steve explained it to me, sometimes he didn't know who was going to be in the car till it got to the racetrack. If, you know, if somebody was walking around and needed a, needed a ride, you know, he, he always would find somebody to put in it before he would drive it. And then uh, eventually I think he decided he wanted to try driving, but wanted to do it with somebody else's car. And there was Ralph McLaughlin. So that's how that happened and i think that i think that was only a one-year thing if i remember um because i do think if if i recall correctly i think it was johnny bush that followed him into the 48 car but um you know steve was a legend um and and i and i i i feel like steve was such an icon in the pits him and sharon and now of course the miller family back right um you know they've got um, the 350 and the SBS car. And, um, you know, it's so great to see uh, the grandson involved. And, um, you know, it's uh, and it's got to be a proud moment for Steve and Sharon, too. Right. So um, the Miller family, just a bunch of outstanding people. And to to see uh to remember all of the the coolness that always surrounded the sweet 16 um especially the that first car that i remember him with that sean shanahan drove the car that he's restored um that one to me is just a really cool car and a cool look to it you know had that sort of that big tall wasn't really a v-shape it's probably more of a u-shape i guess cage or whatever but the bars came together at the top and that did you know eventually i think there became a rule for safety about that but that banned that type of cage um but you see it a lot i mean you know back in in you know in the especially the early 70s a lot of cars had that type of cage even the eight ball had it till jimmy changed it i think for maybe what 75 i think and then um i remember that uh 
the 04 kept it till after Jim Cheney's fire. Then they came back with a open top cage, what I would call an open top where the driver could climb out the top. Um, and Swifty had his until he built his last car. Then he went to the open top. Um, and I think, like I said, I think by then there was a rule about it, but there were, you know, all kinds of those cars that had that sort of cage, but that sweet 16 was just a gorgeous car. And it, and, and I saw that, I think it was the first year that Steve kind of had it finished being restored. He brought it to the old timers reunion at, at the bowling alley. And, um, I always had fun. I'm seeing those, uh, and, I was able to see it and it's like, I could just stare at it all day. You know, I, I literally could just sit because again, it, it's, it, it, and it's like I told Larry earlier, it's a time machine. <laughs> you know, you see those cars are time machines. It's like hearing a song. You know, if you hear a song from your youth, it takes you right back to wherever it was that you remember hearing it when you were young, you know? Um, and, um, those old cars, it's amazing you know, to, to be able to, to just lay eyes on them, even if they're not, I mean, I don't know the difference. Larry talked about the baby Ruth Joya car he's got as being more sort of of the, you know, accurate type, you know, parts or whatever than, than the classic winning nine car that he's got. Um, the older one, I would know the difference. That's not what I'm looking for. <laughs> if it looks like the old car, it's good enough for me, <laughs> you know, I don't pay attention to spindles and things like that just because for me, that's not a thing. I'm not really a gearhead or a mechanic type person. I'm more interested with cars, me and cars. It's all about the aesthetic. How cool does it look? You know, and that's why I had a, I've always had a, a bit of a, uh, a quirk. I don't know. We call it a quirk. Um, but just a thing where like, I love seeing a lot of color, and I like seeing when the helmet doesn't match the car. So um, a picture I just saw was Jim Cheney in the 93. I saw a color shot of that the other day. Um, and, you know, the 93 was this brilliant blue color. And Cheney had that red Johnny Lightning helmet. I just thought those two, I thought that looked cool. Like, I always like seeing um, variety in color. So, you know, I, I always... Um, you know, I always, it, it, I didn't, I don't think everything always needs to perfectly match, you know, like I just, I think it's cool when you can have that difference in color. It's more for the eye to look at. And, you know, so I, for, for me, the aesthetic of cars is what I pay attention to the shape of it, the profile of it, the color of it, um, you know, and in the design of it, that's, that's really, for me, that's, what's interesting. I don't, I don't get too much into, I always enjoy hearing about how somebody went and tracked down the, the identical spindles or whatever. Like, I love hearing that story, but I just, I don't know enough. I couldn't tell you if it was accurate or not. You know, <laughs> it's like a bumper. Some cars had distinct bumpers or distinct shapes or whatever. And you, you know, those are more, but you know, it's as long as it resembles it to me, that's good enough, you know? Um, and so when I looked at the Red Creek rocket, for example, I still haven't seen that in person done, but, um, but looking at the photos of it, um, 
Is it 100%? No. It's 99. <laughs> Whatever subtle differences there might be, I don't care. It looks like it. I mean, and, and what a story, right? So, um, yeah, so I, I just, um, that Steve Miller 16 car for me is just amazing. And I could look at it all day. I never saw the 10 pins that he's got. I never saw that race as the 10 pins. Never saw that. Um, and so for me, um, that is just amazing to be able to someday, you know, Lord willing, I'll be able to, to, to go see that in person. Um, and again, you could just, you sit there and you just get lost. It's like, you know, um, thinking about races that you saw it run. Right. Um, I couldn't really do much with the 10 pins there cause I'm trying to remember that was the, I think he's got the one that Nolan ran that became the flying five. I think is the one he's got, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and so I would remember it as the five, not as the 10, um, as far as, you know, watching it in person, but it doesn't matter. Like, and Steve does such a painstakingly beautiful job restoring stuff. It doesn't matter what he's doing, an indie car or whatever. So, um, you know, I just, I really, again, want to just, all these folks, you know, it's so good to see the history coming back, and, and it's a lot of work. It's It's got to be to restore these cars. A lot of work and a lot of money. It's not like, not like people get, I'm sure maybe Steve gets paid to do some projects, but, um, you know, Larry's not getting paid to restore the cars, right? Nobody's paid Larry. Nobody's paying you know, most all of these people, Jimmy, Paternoster, same thing. He's restored. All the, nobody's paying. You're you're spending an awful lot of money to do this. So we all really should be super appreciating all of these people, whether it's a super modified or not, because keeping history alive is important. And um, it's a lot of fun to to uh, be a small part of what Stock Car Classics is doing down here. Um, and seeing those old cars on track is just so much fun. And, you know, meeting some of the older drivers as I have from that, that experience had a chance to interview Bill Lester, uh, at road Atlanta. And that interview is on the stock car classics.com site. Um, so that's a new podcast. We've started this year, stock car classics podcast. We're going to do more of those interviews. Bill Blair jr. Is one of my next interviews. I got lined up. Bill was, one of the pioneers of NASCAR and just a fountain of information still. Um, so, you know, it's, it's fun to, to do all that. So there's the 16. I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think if maybe there was a 16 I've left out, but all I can think of most, most of the 16 that I know history that I know about is Steve Miller. Um, I don't know if I know of another 16 that's raced at a Swiggo that hasn't been owned by Steve, to be honest. There may have been. I'm just having a hard time remembering it. So y'all can fill in the blanks there. Um, and these are fun. Next show will be episode 117. So we will look at the number 17. And we will also look at the number eight. <laughs> and you know what? The history of the number eight at Oswego is very short compared to what most uh, number history is. 
but boy, is it fun to talk about, right? Um, so we'll uh, we'll dive into eight and seventeen on the next show. Thanks again to uh, Sean Cathcart and the the team from Lagroff's Pub. Make sure if you're in town, if you live in town, um, you know, go over there on Fridays, get fish if he has it, or you know, just make make that a regular stop. Support Lagroff's Pub. Their food is to die for. I don't have to have ever eaten there to know that. I just know that when Sean and his folks cook something, it's to die for. I I spent enough time at Skip's Fish Fry to know the care that goes into his food. And, you know, it's, um, they're, they're, I'm not saying other restaurants don't, just saying that I think Sean takes, you know, really good care of, of, of that part of it. And of course, uh, support Skip's at the track. And, um, I want to thank, um, Jeff West and the folks of my PC Indy and, uh, Rich Worth, the Mozart of Macadam, um, and the folks of JNS paving, uh, Rich just, uh, again, the amount of stuff he's done for a swig and super modified racing over the last few years. Amazing. So thank you, buddy. We appreciate that so much. And thanks to all of you who listen, please share the shows. Don't keep them to yourself. If you like the show, please share it. Because that's what gets us new people, and that's you know that's uh, important. We want we don't want this to be a big secret. We want it to, you know, we want a lot of people to to remember this history, and especially these tribute shows. Um, and I, I I was gonna wait to do this on the next show with Cam, but um, I did find out as I was putting this show together that uh, Ron Sharkey passed away and so um my gosh again we i i keep wanting to not have a tribute show to do um and now we have another one ron had um had a massive heart attack at evans mills his son was racing and you know what um it's not it's a very sort of empty cliche to say he died doing what he loved but you know, you say, well, if, you know, if that's what God's plan is, um, he loved being at the racetrack. He loved his kid racing. That was, I mean, it's just so hard. Um, you know, I, I prayers go out to the Sharkey family. Um, all of them, they were a close family that's, you know, that like any other family had their moments, right. <laughs> but, uh, um, but man, another another first family who has been a supporter of Oswego Speedway and super modified racing and Northeast racing in general, because now they were into modifieds, Ron, Ron and Jeff. Uh, and, um, and, and, you know, Billy's getting ready to come back this year, we believe, with, uh, with, with his car, um, with the super. So um, may God bless and comfort them. Uh, in this time and and um we'll you know hopefully have a little more to say about ron on the next show but um yeah uh you know it's uh just tough we've we 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 i hope we get you know hope that uh, once the season starts we can have uh some happier conversation here but uh certainly don't want to ignore right so you want you want to express the sympathy and and remember them and uh so um 
that's it. That's it for, for this episode. Um, look forward to the next one. We'll have uh, Camden Proud joining us on it uh, and do a season preview and um, talk a little bit about Mike Murphy and, and, um, and, and, and Ron Sharkey as well, no doubt. So uh, again, um, may God keep all of you safe and well and have a blessed week, everyone. Until next time, I'm Tom Baker. So long. You've been listening to Inside Groove, powered by IPC Indy, creating performance parts and solutions for the automotive, aerospace, and communications industries. Find them on the web at www.ipcindy.com. Inside Groove is a Race Chaser Media production. For more exciting and passionate motorsport content, follow Race Chaser Media on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, and visit racechasermedia.com. The opinions expressed by our guests are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff, management, affiliates, or marketing partners of Race Chaser Media. No part of this show may be reproduced in any manner without the expressed written consent of Race Chaser Media. Thank you for listening.